Okay, first of all, Nick Thorley, uh, my first question is, uh, how how uh, did you end up becoming a Stoke fan? Is it something you were born with or uh, what's your Stoke story, essentially? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a slightly interesting story, which I've never fully publicly confessed. So um, I, I kind of was born into a Stoke supporting family in that my mum and dad both went to Stoke in the 70s and probably before that as well. But gradually sort of, I don't know exactly why, but kind of stopped going. So they were there for kind of the Stanley Matthews era and the glory days and everything and the FA Cup semi-finals. Um, but when I was growing up, uh, there wasn't much interest in in it and still were kind of languishing. And I actually only got into football properly in 1990 in the World Cup in Italy. And prior to that, my next door neighbour was a bit of a Liverpool fan who subsequently became a Sheffield Wednesday supporter because that's where he was from. And when they started having a bit of success, he rediscovered his roots. But in the late 80s, uh, I used to watch a bit of football with him. I remember watching the Coventry Spurs Cup final that Coventry won. Um, But I actually decided to become an Arsenal fan in, was it 1989, when um, Arsenal famously beat Liverpool in the last match of the season and so for a couple of years I have to confess that I was an Arsenal fan and it even had one of those awful yellow and black uh, Arsenal tops that kind of looked a bit like someone had been sick Um, and it wasn't until the success under Lou Macari um, that I started following Stoke so it was actually the season we won the Autoglass Trophy was the season I started to listen in started to listen to a few Stoke matches on the radio. Um, I remember listening to the semi-finals, both of the playoffs and the um, Autoglass Trophy. And I remember listening to the Autoglass Trophy final when Mark Steen scored against Stockport whilst doing a, a Duke of Edinburgh practice walk for my bronze DV. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah. So then the following season, I went to my first match because a family friend, so not even my mum and dad, much to their shame, uh, a family friend sort of discovered that I was, uh, like, taking an interest. And he took me one night to watch my first ever match, which was in the 92-93 season against Brighton and Hove Albion when Lee Sanford scored in the first minute. And then my second match was a few weeks later, or I don't know, a month or two later, uh, when we played the Vale in one of the first Pottery's derbies for like years and years and years. And we won 2-1. And Mark Steen scored the winner from the penalty spot after Stoke were 1-0 down. And both times when Stoke scored, I remember like literally being lifted off my feet and sort of moved around in mid-air in the Boothen end. So uh, and and then there was no looking back from there. Halfway through that season, my dad started coming to Stoke again, and uh, we pretty much went to every match the second half of that season. Me and my dad, and then my sister came on the last match of the season when we beat Plymouth. Well, it wasn't the last match; I think it was the penultimate match of the season at home when mm. we beat Plymouth against uh, Peter Shilton, who was there. I think he was their player manager. He was in goal, and um, we won one nil and won the championship and. Uh, from then on, I had a season ticket up until I left home for university. Yeah, uh, I'm just stunned by the fact you confessed to supporting I know, Arsenal. Yeah, don't tell and, anyone. Yeah, 
You say the kit looked like sick, but I think all Arsenal kits look yeah, like sick. Yeah, do you think? Really, but, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll, for, we'll forgive the, the follies of youth then. Thank you. And um, uh, <laughs> uh, one thing listening to the Pottermouth documentary on Radio Stoke is, uh, is the... It mentions the fact that uh, you're registered blind and you follow uh, a lot of Stoke games through the radio now. I mean, it, how long has that been the case? Yes, I was. Well, I was partially sighted when I was younger, so I could see um, a little bit. Well, I could see, but I, I just couldn't see in much detail. So up until I was um, fifteen, I, I suppose in a lot of ways I was just like a normal kid in that I didn't like you wouldn't have known apart from having pretty thick glasses you wouldn't have known necessarily that there was anything wrong with my eyesight I was I was quite clumsy I had tunnel vision struggled with ball sports had to sit at the front of the class had special thick lined paper to write on and read with a magnifying glass but um, I went to mainstream school and all that kind of stuff and uh, I used to be able to see when I went to the matches so I used to be able to see uh, like pretty much everything that was going on I used to stand in the booth and end and I used to be able to see uh, that half of the pitch nearest to me, um, but yeah, I guess, I guess partly because uh, in those days it was the only way you could follow Stoke if you weren't at the match uh, was listening to the games, and there was just something about radio. I've just always really enjoyed radio commentary. I don't know whether it's often it's more kind of passionate and the atmosphere is you get more kind of caught up in it but probably to start with it was just the fact that that was the only way to follow Stoke so um, yeah like listening to matches was has always been a kind of inherent part of my supporter journey mm. um, and what's a kind of typical match day for you now then do you do you go every week do you try and go along when you can I mean um, it's not been the best couple of seasons to be to be following us, but uh, how have you kind of kept in touch? Yeah, with it's kind of changed quite a lot over the years. So um, I guess for the last, so um, my then wife and I adopted children four years ago almost, and that was when I stopped having a season ticket. So I'd I'd stopped having one when I went to uni, and then uh, when I'm trying to remember when it was like early on when Pulis came back the second time was it when he did the um they did that pledge thing um to try and get 10,000 season tickets that's when I got a season ticket again and started going all the time um and then it was a bit more sporadic when I got married and then when we adopted it was kind of um kind of knew then that I wouldn't be able to go every week because a bit of a trek especially when you're relying on going on the train and stuff from Nottingham so um, at the moment my match days are very kind of depends on whether I have my kids or not so and it kind of depends on what we're doing so what I often do if I'm not able to listen to the match live I'll often record it and sort of turn my phone off and avoid hearing the result and then I'll always listen to the match then in full um, without knowing the result uh, sort of early in the evening when the kids are in bed or if I've dropped, dropped them back with their mum. So yeah, so that's how I do it. So it's, it's all by the radio. The Apart from going to the, I went to the Palace match and apart from that, I went to the Man United match at the start of the season when things seemed as though mm. it was all going to be very positive. Um, so yeah, for the last couple of years, I've only been to like literally one or two games a season. 
Yeah. Um, that That's probably been for the best as well. <laughs> yeah, given, yeah. Given so. the performances on the pitch. But um, so, yeah. Uh, how are you feeling about kind of the summer? Like, are you looking forward to the championship? Uh, how do you feel about uh, Gary Rowett? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited, actually. Like, I don't know if it's we're all just, you know, or if I'm kidding myself along. But I'm quite excited because I kept I kept saying this to people like in the early days after relegation, kind of saying, you know, like what's not to like in the championship? More matches, more wins, uh, hopefully, uh, more local derbies. Um, so, yeah, so I, I kind of, um, yeah, I feel, I feel pretty positive. And especially now that we've got Rowett, um, where I went to school, I went to school in Utoxeter, so um, I didn't really know many Vale fans. I knew lots of uh, Derby fans and Wolves fans, and um, obviously the Man United fans and etc. But in terms of local clubs, it was all kind of Derby and Derby and Wolves, really. So, uh, like getting like the fact that we have been in a division above Derby for ages has been great. I was very relieved that they didn't get promoted. And now that we've got their manager, is great. And the fact that like we're kind of, it's a bit of a no-brainer for him to come to a club with much more money and, um, you know, having like Derby's, I think Derby's chairman said he wasn't going to put any more money in and they'd have to start selling some of their players and everything. So um, that's all very nice. So, and I think he's like, he's young and he's hungry and um, I mean, nothing's for sure, but I'm, feeling relatively optimistic and excited about the season yeah I think that's uh, that's been the overriding feeling of just positivity obviously mass, massive amounts of caution in there because it's Stoke and we know Stoke don't think don't do things the easy way but uh, it, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's nice to feel some positivity after after the yeah, last yeah definitely of and also I think there's a bit of like caution around I work with um, I've got a couple of friends who are um Derby fans and they've been you know he's been I think he's done well there and I think if they're honest they're sad to see him go but it's not been it's not been like um, obviously they missed out on promotion all that kind of stuff and they had a bit of a rocky patch um, in February and March so there's it's not like he's been absolutely unbelievable but um, you know so like say cautious optimism I think hmm um so to get uh, on track with kind of the the Pottermouth story and uh, how how stunned I was by the kind of the revelation I think towards the end of last season that that you were Pottermouth. Um, what kind of amazed me when I heard the story is uh, I knew who you were kind of uh, when you were kind of uh, revealed as Pottermouth because. Some years ago, I think it was uh, just after we got promotion, so first season, second season in the Premier League, you were the presenter of the, to, to my memory, the first ever Stoke City podcast. That's right, the first ever uh, one. Called, called, yeah, Stoke City etc. Et um, how did, first of all, uh, how did that come about, that podcast? Because it, it, it was definitely a, a huge kind of, inspiration for this podcast and um it it was kind of in in those early days where podcasts weren't as 
is perhaps big as they are now and to have a Stoke one for for me was uh, an amazing thing to listen to so how did that get up and running yeah yeah no it's it's great that's really great to hear um I started um doing it because in the summer after we got promoted I heard a documentary on Five Live that Colin Murray did called the For the Love of Pod and it was just an hour and he talked about this uh, phenomenon that was podcasting and I'd started I'd like listened to some podcasts and um, I was kind of interested in it but in the show they sort of talked about podcasting and the whole kind of you know that anyone could do it and everything and they had some uh, it was kind of a real mix of some highbrow stuff and um, they had a couple of people who were on the show kind of chatting to him as well as other contributors and at the end of the show he just asked them for what their favourite podcast was and one of them said that their favourite podcast was the Spurs show and it just made me think oh that'd be oh I wonder if like like it just I've always been interested in as well as like listening to the radio and everything I've always fancied um I used to want to like present on radio and stuff like that and I've always been um, into doing from being a kid like recording myself doing things and when I was older kind of recording myself doing slightly more funny things or recording other people so um, yeah I just uh, had that idea and I just thought it'd be cool if we could do something that would be um, like sort of in some ways light-hearted and in some ways like slightly humorous but also just thought what if we could get like really good guests on it and uh, you know people you've you've heard of. So I remember that summer, um, I think the Euro was it the Euros. It was the Euros when we weren't in it, wasn't it? And I just remember um, while mm. they were on, just like emailing loads of people. Like I, I found, I can't remember. Maybe it was through um, emailing someone at Radio Stoke or something. I realised that a lot of presenters uh, and commentators and things had there was like this formulaic bbc email address so i just randomly emailed loads of people and i got loads of replies like quite positive replies people saying um you know i was just saying oh we're starting this podcast it's about stoke and wondered if at some point in the season when you comment if and when you commentate on stoke would you come on our show and um yeah people re- replied very positively uh like mike ingham who was then the bbc football correspondent john Murray, who went on to become the bbc football correspondent um there was someone i'd met once by kind of a long story but i ended up sitting next to nigel johnson once in the commentary box in oh i'm trying to think it would be our first season at the britannia and um there was someone who was covering the match who uh who i chatted to who was a stoke fan and now is his name's john southall and he's like a producer on five live so i got in touch with Mm -hmm. him as well and he said he could put me in touch with different commentators and uh yeah and it was all and and then i suppose the kind of momentum just went from there and i sort of chatted to my mate michael about whether he'd be up for being on it because i thought it'd be a bit funny if he had like me as a stoke fan and then he's a forest fan so kind of someone um you know, looking at it from a slightly different perspective. So yeah, so it all went from there, and yeah, it was great fun. We did it that season, and I think he did it for two or three seasons in the end. And then I got a, a different job, and I just had a lot less time during the day to sit around waiting for footballers to phone me back, and um, just became mm-hmm. a lot less practical. That was the other thing I thought, as well as 
as well as like famous commentators and like national broadcasters um we thought as well if we could like interview former players um that would be that would be good and 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 also had the idea of of always kind of reflecting on the the last match with um, a journalist from the opposition sort of newspaper or radio again to get that different perspective so yeah it was great I loved doing mm. it it was really good fun yeah that that was kind of the one thing that uh, amazes me like thinking back to it is just kind of the the standard and quality of the guests you want to think like oh you obviously had a, a load of current Stoke and then ex-Stoke players on there and a load of journalists like Jeff Stelling I think was on it a couple of times and you had Adrian Durham on when Adrian Durham was public enemy <laughs> yeah, yeah. On Trent and all the rest of it yeah yeah definitely well um, it was uh, go on sorry no no you go. it was always that it was always that idea of just getting anyone on you know who, who was kind of famous whether they were positive about Stoke or not so Adrian Durham like like you say who actually was I remember most of the time we had him on he was very sort of actually fairly complimentary and he was always dead friendly whenever we spoke to him had him on two or three times uh over those seasons um mick dennis who isn't i don't hear him on the national media much i think it's uh, <laughs> i think it's part he used to be there i don't know if he still is he was the football correspondent for the express i think and he used to be on five live a lot you know on panels and um Th- those kind of things and he was always very very negative about Stoke and he was very critical because um, that season we got promoted I think were the six were the 16 changes of leadership in the championship and he was one who said that you know the quality was so poor that whoever got promoted would be going straight back down and he described Stoke in very very derogatory terms um, but I, I kind of admired the way he always said what he thought um, and he wasn't he was all right when he was on. He wasn't like mega friendly or anything. I remember once him being very sarcastic. Uh, I think he was on the first show uh, and we'd arranged to speak to him and it turned out to be at the same time that the fixtures had been released. And um, so he's a bit in- incredulous that we were talking to him rather than checking through the fixtures. But I, I don't know. I mean, we'd arranged with him the time we were going to speak, so there's nothing we could do about it. <laughs> but... Um, uh, yeah, so there was him. I think partly he's not on... Um, I don't know if this is the reason, but I remember hearing him talking about the um, 2012 Olympics and saying what a disaster they were going to be just before they started. So maybe that's why he's not on the radio very much anymore. Um, and Jeff Stelling was amazing. He was always incredibly, incredibly friendly. And the time... We had him on like three or four times. The time I really remember uh, speaking to him and just thinking, oh my gosh, this bloke just can't do enough you know he's just like so generous and everything and um i saw michael the other day and we were both laughing about this we phoned him up and he'd forgotten that we'd arranged to interview him because uh, we always had him on if we'd played like we played hartlepool in the cup one time and uh if we played middlesbrough if there was some vague northeast connection we would it would be an excuse to get him on and we phoned him up and he was like oh oh guys oh sorry i'm on uh i'm on holiday i'm in greece and we're like, oh, right, OK, no worries, sorry to bother you. And he was like, no, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Um, I'm just here with the family, but just, just uh, I'll just uh, wander to a quiet place. And he said, oh, I'll be all right for 10 minutes. And he, like, did the interview there, like, while he's on holiday with his family. It was, it was bonkers. So, yeah, they were just... Mm. Um, and, and I think because, I don't know if this was, if how much of a thing this was, but when you could email other people saying, you know, our guests, so would you be on our podcast so far this season? We've had... 
Jeff Stalin, Jonathan Pierce, Lee Dixon and Adrian Durham. I don't know, it kind of gives it a bit of, I think it helped a little bit. The only, they were, I mean, people were generally pretty friendly. Um, I remember uh, Darren Fletcher once sort of half shouting at me um, on the phone when I'd phoned him up asking for an interview after he'd kind of agreed to be on and he was on a few times uh, but he was he was quite aggressive once <laughs> when I spoke to him um, and uh, Darren Fletcher as in the commentator on BT Sport not the hmm. former Man United player and um, the only other the, one of my favourite no that's oh yeah yeah that's right <laughs> I forgot <laughs> I would wipe to that from my memory that he played for us Um the, one of my favourite emails in that first summer, I um, I thought because um, I was just up for having anyone on, so um, so I emailed Mark Bright because he was doing a bit of summarising and uh, you know, obviously not uh, his allegiances obviously weren't Stoke. I knew that, but um, thought it'd be interesting to have him on and see what he thought. And I sent him an email and I just got this one line reply and it just said, "Hi, don't you know I'm a Vale fan, Mark?" And that was it. He never. I oh. replied and said, "Yeah, I do know, but I just thought it'd be interesting." Da, 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 da. And he never replied again. So there you go. Oh, that's. Really <laughs> um, uh, and of course, one guest you did have on the the podcast at one point was was Pottermouth. Um, little did I know it was Clark Kent interviewing Superman <laughs> at, at, the, at the time, um, but. <laughs> when what made you uh what made you do that um well if i'm being totally honest i was just trying to get more listeners so it was the second season uh or was it the second oh, i don't know was it the second season we'd been doing it and pottermouth was on i was still phoning up praise and grumble because I, I praised i phoned up praise and grumble the season we got promoted and then i did it all the next season I can't remember if I stopped doing it after that, but it was during that. It was during that, either that first or second season of doing the podcast, and um, I sort of did it as a bit of a publicity stunt because I thought it'd be a bit of a kind of coup to get Pottermouth on, and I even referenced it in one of my um, uh, messages on on uh, Praise and Grumble that I was going to be. Like in, you know, part of mouth saying it was going to be on a on a podcast called Stoke City, etc. So if I'm being very honest, it was shameless kind of just trying to promote my podcast. And um, and it was quite fun doing it. But it was actually the, the moment that John Akers from Radio Stoke, who was still the sports presenter and commentator on Stoke in those days, that was the point that he found, he realised it was me. Because I'd... Uh, been in touch with him off and on since the promotion season because I'd sent him an email saying like congratulating him on the coverage of that um, uh, during that promotion season and he's invited me to go to the stadium and sit with him and Nigel and Dennis Smith was summarising that day although I don't think I hardly I don't think Dennis Smith hardly spoke to me but it's fair enough and um, but I sat with them and uh and but I but so I, in my email to John Akers I said also enjoying all the Pottermouth stuff. Um, I can't say very much, but let's just say I have a relationship with him a little bit like Clark Kent and Superman. And he di- he didn't mention it in his reply, but I assumed that was pretty obvious. 
Um, but on the day when I met him, he didn't mention it. And it turned out it, it just totally gone over his head and he just hadn't thought anything else about it. So then after that, so we'd, but we'd kind of stayed in touch and um, swapped emails every now and again. And I'd had him on the podcast as well. Um, and then, yeah, after that episode, I just got this email from him and it just said, it's you, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. And he was like, your editing's pretty good, but it's not that good. I can tell it's you. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, so my kind of relationship with uh, Pottermouth then is I had no idea who Pottermouth was until the kind of battle cry thing went went crazy, like viral. If people used viral in 2008, I'm not sure if they did or not. Um, but I live in live in St. Anne's in Lancashire. So I don't listen to Radio Stoke apart from that short drive from the Britannia Stadium to the M6, that's pretty much the only time I hear Radio Stoke. Uh, so I very rarely listen to the the Friday show or or I don't listen to all of Praise and Grumble either. Um, so Pottermouth wasn't really something I was aware of until the promotion run happened. So what was the kind of idea behind this character? What made you want to ring up a, essentially a local radio sports station and and where where the where the voice of another character if you like yeah so <clears throat> um i'd uh, in that promotion season i don't know i can't i can't honestly remember exactly where the idea came from but for a while i'd wondered about doing some kind of um well i suppose i suppose partly i was just very aware that often on football phone-ins which i think were probably i don't know if, if this is still the case but i think they were a lot more significant sort of 10 years ago or more um mm. because i think now with social media and stuff i think i think their relevance is has diminished a lot and if you listen to praise and grumble nowadays it's mainly the same people who phone in and there's a lot of texting and not a lot of and, and often they read stuff off twitter and so it's quite different so back then back in the olden days um i think they're a bit more relevant and uh, the thing that always used to happen was that you just have these myths developing. I, I always thought that, that people would either look back with rose-tinted glasses or whatever the opposite to rose-tinted glasses is about mm-hmm. about former managers or former players. And, and it was almost like, you know, if enough people said something, then it would just kind of stick. And around that time, so um, we just had Boscamp and then Pulis had come back and... And and even that season, people were starting to reminisce about Boscamp, and it had only been like a season or two earlier. And like I was excited about Johan Boscamp for the first three or four matches when we played some nice carpet football and scored quite a few goals. Actually, up until the December in his reign, we were doing quite well, and then it all capitulated. But like people just forgot that we were getting hammered at home, and that we were you know defending on the halfway line and. Teams like Cardiff and Wolves, I remember sitting watching just pick us off at the Britannia. And, you know, we'd get hammered like 3-0 or something. But but that season, people were saying, oh, remember under Boscamp, it was so much better. And it's just nonsense. And I uh, thought about, like, doing something to kind of send that up. And then because they started doing this answer phone thing, so they'd have the callers during the 
during the program but then there was also this thing that you could phone up at any time during the week to kind of express your opinion so I just thought that gives like presented the perfect opportunity to do sort of a comedy spoof character um so yeah so I did and I decided I'd been thinking about it for a while and um and it was the night we played Scunthorpe and we played them um at Glamford Park and won 3-2 but we scored two late goals to win and after the match mm. uh John Akers was like reading out texts from people and stuff saying oh if we've got any open promotion we should be beating teams like this and he was having to remind them that we had actually won the match and I just thought that's like it's just typical it's just like people making an argument and it there's no kind of basis to it do you know what I mean like for you know as if you'd mm. say they say oh well if you know we're never going to get promotion if we can't beat Scunthorpe you'd be like yeah no we have yeah we have just beaten Scunthorpe like there's no so it was that it was just a kind of perfect I was like oh, I should give this a go so um, so yeah so that's what happened and because it went down quite well that first time I did it again and, and the second time I did it I made some joke about because uh, they just come out about the club had lost three million pounds or something so I made some joke about um, selling uh, merchandise in the club shop which John Akers sort of died laughing on air when he when he played it and it and it sort of all went from there and it kind of built um a bit of a reputation and and it was and it it kind of because he liked it he sort of would start trailing it at the start of the show so he'd sort of say you know tonight we hear from tony pulis and the other managers and we also get the latest installment from pottermouth so i think because it was kind of generating a bit of interest they wanted to push it and obviously that kind of motivated me to um uh, do like to keep doing it and coming up with different ideas and that, like at that time as well it's it's a lot different than now at that time there was quite a lot of characters who used to phone up like you know quite funny people either intentionally or unintentionally funny <laughs> and also on that answer phone there was a few other people who started phoning up sort of doing again whether it was intentional or unintentional just like bizarre things like this old guy used to phone up because that season they started um was when dennis smith first started summarizing for stoke and everyone went a bit doolally about it and how exciting it was and this guy used to phone up on the hands phone and just chant dennis smith's red and white army <laughs> just over and over again <laughs> and um this other guy used to phone up pretending to be calling himself painter coats and he did quite a good impression of Peter Coates, but it was just, it was a bit bizarre. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> this weird, yeah, this weird thing going weird on. Weird little community. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, no, it was funny. When we're not on the air, you do have a chance to have your say. That's why we have Praise and Grumble 24-7. Ready. Hi, John. It's Pottermouth here. Pottermouth. And I'm just ringing because I'm that sick and fed up with what's going on at Stoke. We've got a new character, we like him, he's brilliant. Pottermouth, you can ring again. He used to wear a lovely suit, Boscamp did, and I've got one, obviously not from the shop because he never sorted themselves out in time, but I wear my Boscamp suit when I walk around Anley. Uh, Sue said, is that Pottermouth for real? He is dead funny, really funny in fact, but never normal in a million years. Well, as far as I can work out, John, he's grumbling about them as a grumbling. And now you've got me grumbling about the grumblers, grumbling about those that's grumbled in the first place. Praise and grumble 24-7 on the way with Pottermouth. The first Ian is in Scholar Green. Hello, Ian. Hi, right, mate. Sound, uh... 
Good, good, I'm glad. There's no heart and no fight. I mean, I know we've come back from goals down against uh, Barnsley and Ipswich and Blackpool and Plymouth and Norwich and Scunthorpe and Charlton. But where's the fight, John? Neil has texted in. He said, I think Ian in Scholar Green is Pottermouth. No, he's not. He's not. He's not. I'm going to continue in talking sense, but a different topic, slightly. Okay. It's uh, Pottermouth. Right. Pottermouth, I know he's anonymous, and perhaps not many people know who he is. No. I'm saying to you now, and I'm not, this is no wind-up, he needs to make a CD, and he'd sell copies of that. I mean, what can you do with Pewis? Sell replica uh, baseball caps? You want to make much money with them? Um, the only thing I can think <laughs> they can do at the moment in the club shop is sell Peter Coates coats. <laughs> I'd buy a Coates coat if it's out my club. Tra. <laughs> The message will be erased. <laughs> it's making me laugh even the second time hearing it. He's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> He's a coach coach. <laughs> I want to know, after uh, after last night's praise and grumble, are you on the lookout for Pottermouth? Well, you know, his identity is a closely veiled secret, and I, th I think it should remain that way. I've got a theory. Mm. Do you think Pottermouth might be Pottermus? No. Oh. That's a ridiculous idea. Let's get on with the non-league, shall we? It's Charlton. Stoke suffered a blow. The bubble has burst now, I know. It's over for Stoke. Promotion's a joke and Tony Pulis must go. Praising Grumble 24-7 coming up with a certain Pottermouth. Kev's in Westbury Park. Hi, Kev. It's not me. <laughs> it's not you, is it? No. Do you know who it is? No. The jury's out on that one, John. I know. It's a mystery, it's isn't it? Is. I have no idea. <laughs> Pottermouth has a Newcastle underlying accent. I'm good at telling where people are from. Oh, I would guess Chesterton, and that's from Pud. What I say is, bring back the Boz. Bring back Boz Camp. Because it was 4-3. was exciting football. 4-3 four, four, every week. I agree with Ian, actually. I think you're bringing a CD out, that uh, Pottermouth. I hope, John, yeah. it's Pottermouth. That's the kiddie. Pottermouth, he is from Stoke, but now lives away. I know this to be true because I work with him. All I can say is, he's in the armed forces. And the other thing I want to say, John is that these people phoning up asking, who is Pottermouth? They don't phone up saying, who is John Akers? Do they, John? And they want to know where I live as well. Well, I'm not telling you, but I'll give you a clue. Does Creswell live in Creswell? Tra! The message will be erased. <laughs> Brilliant. Pottermouth, this week's 24-7. I honestly don't know who he is. He just keeps ringing every week, and we love it. Thanks very much for ringing us again. I know a lot of people won't like him. A lot of people will love him. We love him. We're going to keep playing him. I'm sorry. I don't think there's anybody else ringing in with such original sort of stupid comments. No. Which are, they're damn funny, let's, let's face it. And, of course, the Pottermouth show will be back next Friday. Absolutely, <laughs> Steph. Thank you. One final text, John. Uh, but, but, so, before I get to the uh, battle cry, then, another thing you did kind of alongside Stoke City etc when that podcast was going was you produced um, a couple of like audio mixes one of which uh, we'll play at the end of this episode of uh, the, the one that that captivates me and, and, and my dad is the one of the Cardiff City playoff semi-final which is uh, well our listeners will hear at the end but it's the commentary of that game kind of set to music and it's it it is remains literally something 
me and my dad sometimes coming back from the pub will like play in the car <coughs> or coming back from the stage, we'll, we will play this commentary in the car because it's so good and so kind of it does still make the hair on your on your arms stand up so uh, I'm guessing it's it's that kind of love of audio and love of radio that's kind of prompted you to make that yeah yeah definitely and I would have and I would have loved to have made that part of the um, podcast as well that was one thing that I really wanted to do but with all the rights issues and everything um, that wasn't it wasn't possible um, but yeah no ever since I so when I first started getting into football back in the olden days um, when Radio 5 was Radio 5 before it was 5 Live they used to do these kind of mixes and um, and they were really good and I remember, I remember some of them now like I remember like uh, one when it was like a retrospective thing on England's forlorn uh, qualifying campaign under Graham Taylor and they played Everybody Hurts by REM and, and there was like the goals um, from Holland and San Marino and um, and it was amazing it was just kind of like there's just something about it capturing I don't know like capturing the mood but also adding something like I remember um, like I had a tape of um, TV superhero themes and I remember playing I remember like uh, I can't remember exactly how I did it probably just with two tape recorders but like having the goals that I'd recorded from the 90 three cup final I think which was like Sheffield Wednesday against Arsenal and and playing the old um uh what was it um incredible hulk theme tune over it which is this really melancholy piano music and it's really weird because you've got dramatic commentary like quite exciting commentary and then this really kind of melancholy piano music and it's just I don't know just that mix it's like oh my gosh this is really weird how it does it so yeah so we've always been interested in that and I've kind of tried to do different things and that um that Cardiff Stoke thing I tried a few times with a few like different bits of music and never really managed and then um yeah I can't remember exactly I think it's probably just getting slightly better editing stuff on my computer and um yeah I decided to go back and try and do it because I'd got um the commentary I had a friend who used to record the matches because I've lived in Nottingham for quite a long time and I listened to that match on a very dodgy medium wave uh, frequency that sort of faded in and out of Radio Wales in Nottingham that night when we played Cardiff away in the second leg. And uh, But I got a friend, the aforementioned Sheffield Wednesday fan who lived next door to me actually, who uh, used to record the matches for me and then post the tapes to me in Nottingham and uh, so it got all the commentary and everything and it was just a matter of putting it together and I think it's one of the few that I've done I mean there's still the ending it just sort of fades out at the end I'm a bit there's nothing after the final whistle it sort of just fades out and it's a bit of a shame but apart from that it's one of the few that I've done that I um, that it, it just it kind of all comes together and it does capture it and I think that's just that remains for all the kind of um, you know, Premier League experience and I, and the the FA Cup final and everything. That that still that match is my favourite ever Stoke match. And like you say about like listening to that and the hairs standing up on you wherever. Like I, the hairs on my body always stand up on end whenever I talk about it. Like whenever I talk about it. And I think just because of where we were as a club. 
and who we were playing and the fact that it was like seemed like it was all over and we're going to be consigned to another season in the third tier and just the way it all happened it was just the most dramatic football match I've ever experienced in my life and like I say I was even you know I was listening to it on the radio in a room in Nottingham and those final few minutes of normal time with my mate who's a Peterborough United fan who'd wandered up from watching the Champions League final downstairs just to see what was going on and well, it's just, yeah, just the best, the best, most dramatic, most exhilarating, most unexpected, incredible football match I think I'll ever experience, ever. Mm. And and what the mix does is is you've got the added bonus of hearing those the 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 Welsh side of the story, the the Cardiff City commentators going, oh no way, is that free kick, and. Uh, and it's just the, the the lovely kind of the contrast between the two. I mean, it's just like that's just sport and football and everything we love about it. In like yeah, in three minutes or so. Well, my I got a friend who lived in Cardiff, so I asked him if he'd if he'd record it for me, which he did, and sent me it on mini disc. Mini disc. Can you remember those? And um, he uh, yeah, it was just well, everybody like thought that was it like after that first we you know played him at the Britannia and um like they were winning 2-0 and it was like all over and it was so deflating and Kavner had scored had Kavner or Thorne scored and you know the fact that they'd signed our two best players at the start of the season and mm. um and then right at the end was it Dion Burton just kind of snuck one in right at the end to make it 2-1 yeah but yeah no absolutely they were and and when you listen to the commentary, they just knew they were that was it. They were there. There was no question. No, they'd beaten us at our place, and then you got this like crazy partisan crowd in in Cardiff, and oh yeah, it's just um, and even like afterwards, one of the one of my favourite interviews I ever did on Stoke City etc was with Neil Cutler, who was in goal for us that night, and he talked about like them arriving on the bus and. Um, you know stuff being thrown at the bus and then like he just said in that match and I think it's always just amazing I think when you hear players say things like this he said he was like standing in front of the Stoke fans and he just said when those goals went in and he could see the Stoke fans just going like absolutely mental he just said I just wanted to run and jump in with him and and it was amazing because it's that, like I say, it's hard to express. And my my um, sister and my mum and dad were at the beam back at the Britannia that night. And my sister always says about how um, when, so just up until that first bit of commentary in the mix when, um, you know, we're losing and it's the last minute and, you know, they've just clapped off whoever their striker was who was wandering off and... Um, Sam and Man had always done that thing where he walked around the pitch just just before the end, and they were all getting ready to invade the pitch, I guess, and celebrate. And my sister says she was just standing there next to my mum and dad, and she was just praying that Stoke would score. And she said, when they and she was like, <laughs> I remember telling me like years later that she was just praying and saying to God, like, no, just do it for my mum and dad, just do it for them, and like saying because you know they're getting old and they might not see much success again, and. And and she said when the goal went in, she couldn't like celebrate. Like everyone stood up and was going crazy. But she just said she just stood there and felt like she was going to collapse and she felt like her her legs were going to buckle. And it's just that, 
Yeah, it's, it's like more than... I don't know, it's just the best, isn't it? It's the, yeah. it's the <laughs> most... It's the most dramatic and most beautiful, unbelievable, like say, night of football I, will, I think I probably will ever, will ever know. Yeah, and in that you've got, uh, you've got the phrase do it for, uh, which brings us neatly onto the uh, battle cry. Um, what, what, what brought about the, the battle cry? And, and I, I get that the, the character was, was something you'd been ringing up Radio Stoke with for a while, but uh, did part of you think when you were like composing this, this, this poem, essentially, did you think, oh, this will be something they'll really enjoy, this will be something they have a laugh with, or did you think, oh, this could, uh, this could gain a bit of kind of local notoriety or something? No, not well. I just thought it'd be. I just thought it'd be fun, and I thought it would be. Um, uh, what did I think? It's hard to remember. <laughs> I think I thought that. Um, I, I think for quite a long time, I'd thought about the idea of, like, doing using poetry as a, like ahead of ahead of some World Cups on the BBC or other radio stations. You sometimes hear like pieces of audio. And occasionally they'll use words or people do some kind of poetry or speech from Shakespeare or something. And sometimes it kind of works and often it sounds really terrible and cheesy. But I'd thought sometimes about like composing something ahead of like a big match. And but I suppose you just think, well, like, how would that ever work? Or And, and, and towards the end of that season, because we went on this really bad run, I just thought, well, maybe... Um, you know, I could write something and it'd be quite funny because Pottermouth was this kind of obviously very niche and only people who listened on a Friday night would know about him. But I just thought it kind of was an opportunity to do it. And it's sort of slightly funny because it's in this comedy um, old man Stoke accent. But um, yeah, just so. So I, I guess I thought hopefully it will be like a bit of a hit, just like some of the um, other things I've, I did made people laugh. And and the most I ever hoped for was with anything was um, you know if it got meant if all the phone, if all the callers referenced it or if like John Akers laughed or something or if someone posting on the oat cake referenced it then that was always kind of quite satisfying and also I had this group of mates who I used to I used to record the bits with part of mouth on and then email them uh, and they were mates from school and union stuff just about i don't know maybe a dozen people and it was just like a bit of an in joke um so so yeah but i did you know that was it really um mm. I, I hoped that it would go down well as mm. the other little comedy things had and and how did you decide like what bits what bits of stoke on trent to to put in there i mean how, how long did you spend putting it all together do you think I think I probably thought about it for quite a while. Um, like just, I say quite a while, maybe a week or so. Just like thinking as I was wandering around or doing other stuff, I'd just mm. kind of think about different things. And when I sat down to write it, it kind of came together pretty quick, really. Perhaps, I don't know, it's, like I say, I can't remember. But not long, like maybe 20 minutes or half an hour. And I suppose I was just thinking of like everything that meant Stoke to me. Um and some of it I had to Google just to double check, like, <laughs> uh, I don't know, like references to, like Lime Kiln Bank, for example, which I wasn't really sure about. And I just heard it on a 
old granddad pig at record and um just double checking names of like Josiah Wedgwood and things like that because it'd be a bit embarrassing if I'd if I got that wrong mm. uh, I mean I was listening to it I listened to you know when I listened to the documentary it struck me that on it he says take us to the premiership I mean that's very embarrassing isn't it referring it to as the premiership um, but maybe people thought that was I don't know no one's ever mentioned that but um, I, I, I only just picked up on that the other day um, but uh, yeah it all sort of came together and I, I suppose I just thought of everything like everything that I could think of that either my dad had told me or that I'd heard or that was kind of, um, you know, just, yeah, that summed up what Stoke was all about. And and for me, it was kind of that, because football for me is all about, and supporting Stoke, it's, it's kind of who you are and it's your heritage and, you know, that it's much more than, you're not just cheering on, you're not, you're not just cheering on 11 players. You are uh, part of something part of this kind of thing this like thing that's to do for me it's always been I guess about my identity where I'm from my family my grandparents you know the mm. road that I used to skateboard up and down when I was a kid and the school that I went to and it's, it's like that so so cheering goals and supporting your club and it's it's that whole thing to do with identity and the essence of who you are and where you come from and so that's why you can kind of list all those things because it's like that's what makes it all up really yeah um and then of course radio stoke get, goes kind of national for at least a week probably probably more so during that kind of last few games as, as stoke kind of claw their way to promotion i mean when did you first become aware that this this kind of uh this thing you'd recorded had gone had gone so massive well the next day so so that night i can't i can't remember loads but that night i can't remember what happened like i I listened to to praise and grumble that night and it kind of went down really well and like people were kind of so so way more than anything that i'd ever done before like people were texting in afterwards because they 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 really hyped it up so at the start of the show they said you know going to hear something very special from Pottermouth tonight and they did the 24-7 answer phone thing earlier in the show but they left out they just kind of played a tiny bit of of my intro to the battle cry and then they played it later in the show and then after towards the end of the show and then after that there was just loads and loads of people texting in saying like all this stuff about it so it was great and it was really exciting but then the next day like early in the afternoon um my mum phoned me and she said, oh, Radio Stoke are playing Pottermouth every hour. And they were playing it on the hour every hour in the build-up to the Coventry match. And then they played it before the Coventry match. So it was, yeah, it was just bonkers then. And um, and then later that week it was on Five Live. And I was in touch. So there was one guy at Radio Stoke who knew, Rob Adcock, who was um, did various bits and pieces. Um, he He knew it was me. And uh, so he emailed me sometime that week just saying, oh, it's all gone a bit crazy. Five Live have been in touch and Midlands Today have been in touch. And he was really committed to keeping it a secret. So so he didn't tell anyone else it was me. Um, but yeah, it was just insane. Like it was on it was on Drive. Drive did a feature on it on Five Live. And then it was on Midlands Today. Then um, 
they they played it on um uh spot on five that friday night and you had like it's just the it, the like, <laughs> it's just the bonkers nature of it that you had mark on five live doing sport on five for like i don't know two minutes or three minutes you had mark pugach the presenter steve claridge and gabrielle marcotti talking about <laughs> talking about this thing and it was like it's yeah just incredible and like midlands today at the end of their thing at the end of their feature were like if you know who Pottermouth is please call <laughs> this number and it was yeah, really, really just insane. And then also around that time, like, Bristol City, like, did their own. And Hull City did their own as well. And they were both terrible, like, awful. Like, the Bristol City, I can't, I can't remember the Hull one at all, but the Bristol City one, they got, um, I think Radio, like, Bristol did it. And they used the same music, and they got Gareth Chilcott, the rugby player, to do it. And it was just terrible. Like, it didn't scan properly, and it didn't, it just... And he kind of couldn't really read it very well. And so, But it's just all added to the absolute kind of bonkersness of it all. Championship side Stoke City, who are getting ready for this weekend's crucial home game against Bristol City, their promotion rivals, have been given a boost by a mysterious fan. A call to arms has come from a mystery local poet calling himself Pottermouth. Chief executive of Stoke City is Tony Scholes. He's very good, isn't he? I I think it's fantastic. I heard it for the first time last Friday evening. And this this is an area that's rich in tradition, very proud of its heritage. And I think the uh, the poet Pottermouth has caught that very well. But for sporting passion, you just can't beat the championship promotion race. This is a call to the men who wear the red and white. Do it for the Stokies around the world, near and far. Do it. Do it purely. Across the UK. This is Five Live Sports. message will be erased <laughs> i've heard that a couple of times everyone says well they say two things one it just shows football and everyone else goes slash really from stoke <laughs> they all say the same thing we looked it up didn't we born in london and lived in stoke till he was 11 but bristol city have responded with their own version here is their battle cry read by the english rugby legend gareth chilcott Combine wheels have stopped turning. Old Harris stored that plough. The Prems have got enough teams from the Midlands, from London and up north. It's time the West Country babbers showed the country what we're worth. Now, compare Arsene and Avram's cryptic nihilism with the galvanising words of Pottermouth. Who is Pottermouth, I hear you ask? Well, truthfully, I don't know, and nor perhaps does anyone save Pottermouth himself. For months, Radio Stoke have had mysterious messages left on their answering machine by someone adopting the name and clearly besotted with Stoke City FC, a.k.a. the Potters. But with his team just outside a slot for automatic promotion to the Premier League, Pottermouth made a call to arms and a call to Radio Stoke so stirring it was also played over the Tannoy before yesterday's crunch match against Bristol City. Stoke on the brink of the Premier League in 2008 away at Colchester. Honest answer, how many times have you watched or listened to Pottermouth in the last 24 hours ahead of this game? Uh, honest answer, four. Twice on the way here. We stayed over in Braintree last night and listened to it on CD coming in today. Sad person that I am, but uh, there you go. <laughs> the honest answer was four. How many times have you listened to it secretly that your wife doesn't know about? No comment. 
then Tony Pulis hung it in his office. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that's crazy. I remember John Akers telling me that, like, I don't know, the next season or something. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing where you kind of, if you're not a footballer, and if you're not, if you're just a fan, then I suppose you want to, you hope, you have an affinity with your club. But you kind of, I suppose more than anything, you you sort of want to play your part. And so for, like most of us, obviously that just means going to the games and shouting and clapping and, you know, you're being there and you, you go through the thick and thin and all of that kind of stuff. And I suppose for me, the most, just the most miraculous thing and, and joyful and satisfying thing of the whole experience is that um, I was able to do something that sort of in some weird way kind of perhaps had some kind of positive impact and you know you kind of played your part and so as someone who grew up like I was late like I say I was kind of an Arsenal fan for a bit and then came to Stoke and never felt totally you know as an insecure teenager my mates at school who weren't even Stoke fans always questioned my loyalty to Stoke and they're like, oh, I thought you were an Arsenal fan and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> like even like years after sort of renouncing my commitment to the Gunners. Um, and so and so it's just remarkable that sort of all these years later when we did finally reach the promised land, I did something that sort of for some people will kind of be associated with that. And that, that yeah, that Tony Pulis has it hung up in his house. It's yeah, it's 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 really like I say, it's hard to explain. It's bonkers and it's really brilliant and just feel very grateful to have been able to do it. And uh, why why the reveal now then? What what prompted uh, your your outing as, as Pottermore? Well, John John Akers got in touch and said um, uh, that he was thinking of doing a, a, a documentary because it was 10 years on. And he said you can either do it as... Like, you can either come out and reveal yourself or you could do it anonymously um, and we could interview you as Pottermouth. And I just thought that it had been... I, I decided a while ago that I wasn't going to do anything else. Like, I occasionally get asked to do things. So um, Radio Stoke asked me if I'd do something when they were doing the um, City of Culture bid and I just thought, oh, I can't do anything i mean there's been some bizarre requests over the years so i don't know if it it was sometime after that that um crew were in a relegation battle i don't know if you remember this and gudgeon thordison was the crew manager and so i got this email from rob adcock uh from radio stoke and he said listen I'm, you probably won't want to do this but um i was trying to get gudgeon thordison on the podcast like do an interview right. with him and um, and I think I'd probably got in touch with Rob Adcock to ask him about that. And I don't know. Anyway, he, he got in touch with me and he said, um, he said, you probably won't want to do this, um, but it might help you to get Gudjon on your podcast. But basically, he's asked Radio Stoke if there's any way that they could ask Pottermouth if he would do a battle cry for crew. (laughs) (laughs) To keep them up. (laughs) I just just love the thought of a professional football manager 
just like <laughs> get me that guy off the radio to, to record to record a poem for me and that'll keep us up for cr- it's bizarre isn't it like where do you start oh, with that like, I like good job yeah. but bloody hell if that's if that's his tactical now so I'm, gl- I'm kind of glad he went oh dear me oh. so 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 kind of different people had asked me to do things and I'd done a few things that I kind of regretted like nothing serious but there was a few kind of things that like I don't know around the cup semi-final like people say oh can would you get you know could we have part of mouth doing a few words on this or that and anyway so I hadn't done anything for years and years and years and then this last season there'd been a bit a few people had been in touch with me saying you know who knew it was me saying oh loads of people on um, like social media or whatever or on message boards are saying oh why doesn't part of mouth come back and do something and we need him to do something and I did I did actually towards the end I can't remember when it was a few months before the end of the season I did sit down one afternoon and try and write something but I just couldn't I couldn't do it really I couldn't think of much to say that was very positive about where we were at and I, I sort of felt we were doomed since the probably the Newcastle home defeat so I didn't really feel like there was much chance anyway. So it just felt like a good opportunity to come out and tell the story and say it was me and yeah, yeah. So and it's been lots and of fun off doing the back so. Of that, of course, you've got the uh, Crystal Palace game where you were um, kind of unveiled to the the crowd, kind of before <laughs> kickoff, and uh, and I, I I wasn't sure what was what quite was going on because I thought is. It was literally in the seconds up until kickoff that that you were handed the microphone. I thought, is he is he literally going to do the whole thing? Because I'm not sure. I'm not sure that Crystal Palace will be up for waiting for the whole you know four or five minutes. So uh, how did that come about? Yeah, well, it was all it was all very bizarre. So um, so that night, so the radio state did the documentary the night before, and then I was on the phone to John Akers like afterwards uh just kind of chatting about the show and sort of saying how good it was and because he sort of told me bits and pieces about it and he'd sent me a few clips of it um and so we were having this conversation he quite likes doing impressions of Pottermouth so often when we speak on the phone we both talk as Pottermouth to one another which is quite bizarre um and anyway, we're on this conversation and then he said what are you doing tomorrow this is like at 10 o'clock at night and I said oh well I've got the kids so we're going to go to the cinema and I'm going to get make sure we're back in time to listen to the match. And he was like, oh, right, only Steve Buxton, you know, he does the, he's like the main MC on the pitch. He said, Steve Buxton's just texted me and said, uh, can you get me Pottermouth on the pitch before the match tomorrow? And I was like, oh, oh. Uh. And, I, and I was kind of racking my brain to see how we could do it because m- my kids are adopted, so there's kind of extra issues around... Um, like anxiety and doing stuff out of routine and all that kind of stuff. So I sort of said, well, I, th- I think if my sister's free and if she could meet us there, then that would be, she could help me look after the kids and that would probably work. And he was like, oh yeah, no, they'll just like, just say exactly what you need because they'll send you a car to get you and everything. I was like, oh really? Anyway, so, um, so that was, it was as late as that. And I just thought, and he said, oh, they'll probably just play the battle cry on the speakers and then um you'd probably just get you to wave at the crowd and i was like oh all right yeah that sounds great 
Um, and my kids had never, I'd never taken them to a match before. So I thought, you know, be a good opportunity. So yeah, so this car came and picked us up and drove us all the way to the stadium. Met my sister. We went in and introduced ourselves at like the desk and um, it's like the um, executive entrance, which I'd never been in before. And like, we're standing there and <laughs> it's kind of saying, kind of saying, oh, we're here. Steve Buxton's asked us to come. It's about Pottermouth. And these ladies on the desk are a bit like, oh, right, uh, right. Uh, and like one of them said, oh, phone such and such. And and th then there's people around you going, uh, Jack Buckland's left us six tickets. And they're like, oh, yeah. Anyway, so it's all very surreal. And then we got taken down to the pitch to the dugout. So I'm sitting in the dugout with my kids who've never been to a match before in their lives. They're five and seven, sitting in the dog dugout, and my sister's there. And then Ricardo Fuller like wanders along, and um, they introduced us to him. And I was like, "Oh, I, you were one of my favorite players." You uh, and I just didn't know what to say because it's like Ricardo Fuller, and um, and he said, he said, "Oh, you were you're amazing." Oh, the battle cry. Oh, what you did for us. I don't know when I always do an impression of him. I always <laughs> do it in a French accent. I'm not quite sure why. And um, so he just kind of went on about it. He said, oh, the, he said, Pulis played us um, any given Sunday, which was good. But for those, for anyone who wanted to know what it meant for Stoke, it was your poem that really helped us. It was amazing. It was so good. And I was like, oh, you, that hat trick against West Brom. Oh, um, just, and he was like, no, no. And yeah, it was bonkers. And then we had our photo. It was amazing. And um and then Steve Buxton came over and he said, he said, all right, nice to meet you. He said, and it was funny because I'd met him once before because, and he obviously like, I don't know why he would remember this, but in the, in the early days of Stoke City, etc., like after we'd been doing it for a couple of months, I got invited to go and meet him at Stoke and he, they'd released a podcast at the start of that season, which was, which was awful. It was like terrible. And it was, um, kind of mixture of interviews and Nigel Johnson sort of presented it and they did I did did you ever hear it uh, um, yeah I've got a vague recollection of the club trying to do something not uh there was a, like a couple of months after you guys and we're like and I, I was kind of frustrated at the club for even doing it just I was just like let's see etc do their thing <laughs> you know there's there was there was like this never-ending interview with Adrian Lewis, the darts player, who <laughs> sounded like he wasn't really into Stoke anyway. But anyway, I, so I got invited to um, uh, meet the media team at Stoke, and they basically like uh, offered us to become the official podcast, like for Stoke. And oh, wow. um, and he said, you know, we can get you. You can use the studios at Radio Stoke or Signal. You can have access to players and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. And he said, and I said, oh, can we have um, commentary clips? Because going back to that whole thing. And he was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Of course you can, anything you want. And I was like, oh, right. He said, um, the, I said, the only thing is we do, we often like interview people from the uh, media who like the opposition media. And he was like, all oh, right, yeah. Um Obviously, we wouldn't want you to say anything sort of negative or critical about the club. Mm. And I was like, oh, uh, oh, right. There's the rub. Uh, yeah, so I sort of went away and thought about it and then phoned him up a week or two later and said, thanks, but no thanks. 
Which is a decision I sometimes wonder whether I should have or not, but I don't know. It's probably... I've thought about... Uh, what we would do in a similar thing, and like if, like if, if we if we wanted to interview someone from the club, or if we wanted like any kind of official recognition from the club in whatever way, like, and I've always thought we, we've got to be like kind of honest uh, as a as a yeah, fans podcast. Yeah, you've yeah. got you've got to try and just speak your mind, and you can't be a you can't be Pravda for Stoke City Football Club, really, can you? So definitely. Um, yeah, definitely. I, th- I, think, I think you made the right decision anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so he comes up and he says, all right, Nick, nice to meet you. Um, he said, you're all right, we're going to do this straight after after the players come out just before the handshakes. Um, are you all right to just give us a few lines? I was like, uh... And he's like, just, you know, a line or two. I was like, uh... Y- yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So, so he wandered off and then um yeah and then so um the the other thing that's quite funny at this moment which I only found out a couple of days later was that this guy came over then another guy from like the I don't know what you call him like the press team or the people who were in charge of what's happening on the pitch um which is all kind of massively precisely done so the guy standing next to me you know like as the players are coming out of the tunnel he was like doing a sort of 10 second countdown he was like 10 9 8 7 and like as he said one the players stepped out of the tunnel and i was like oh you is it all that precise he was like absolutely i was like it's all like do you know what i mean down to the second it was kind of quite impressive anyway while all this was going while i was chatting to ricardo fuller one of these guys came over to my sister and said um are you are you staying for the match and she was like yeah and he was like oh right where where are you sitting have you got tickets she was like no you've you've asked him to come and like you've asked him to come so and he was like oh right right uh okay bear with me so he like wandered off and then he came back and said um yeah the match is actually a sellout but we have managed to find you four seats uh just over here <laughs> so it's oh, like good. remarkable good dream stoke yeah <laughs> oh that that's, so that's anyways, a typical so, stoke i think <laughs> So I was completely oblivious to this. So yeah, so then I got led over by Steve Buxton just before the kickoff and and um he said, you know, we'd go over to the Britannia and he'd introduce me. And it was just bonkers because the the delay on the mic is like it must be four or five seconds. So he started like speaking into the mic saying uh, ladies and gentlemen, we've got Nick Thorley with us today. He was revealed as part of mouth last night. Well I could hardly hear anything he was saying and then it started booming out the speakers. And I just remember thinking, I'd sort of decided on a few lines that I was going to say, but I just remember thinking, I'm going to have no idea, like, how loud to do it or not, or how close to have the mic to me, or... So in the end, I did it, and then as soon as I finished, I just thought, oh, no, I've just just yelled down the microphone. That must have sounded terrible. And, And I spent the first half, probably the first whole of the first half, just kind of texting friends saying did that did you hear it was it all right did it sound terrible or and I phoned my mum and dad who were like listening at home and spoke to my dad and I said oh did you could you hear it and he's like yeah I could hear you scream something (laughs) and I was like oh no I was like just thinking oh how embarrassing but um 
Yeah, so it was all very bonkers. The main thing was, though, like, I don't think... I wouldn't, I wouldn't have ever lived with myself if I'd have turned down the chance to, like, wander out onto the pitch at Stoke. And the fact that they came and picked us up and brought us back home, and it was, like, my kids' first match, and they really enjoyed it, and, um, uh, like, are up for going again next season, and it's kind of really helped their understanding of football although my son who's five now for him crystal palace are like the benchmark of like football kind of glory (laughs) which is very weird and i'm sure like in later life i'll enjoy kind of you know uh sort of repeating this back to him but now i'm trying to like explain to him about the world cup and how it's going to work and he was asking who the best teams are in the world uh, in the world so i was like saying oh it's germany and spain and brazil and he goes are they are they as fast as crystal palace daddy (laughs) like yeah uh yeah they probably are as fast as palace and perhaps a bit faster so yeah so bizarrely palace are sort of the 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 benchmark of a really great football team now in my little boy's head. I love the fact we made Crystal Palace look that good on that day as well. Um, <laughs> he, he kept saying, "Daddy, why are they so fast? Why don't we have fast players like them?" It, uh, yeah, it is good question. it is a question we've been asking on the podcast for about ninety eight <laughs> episodes now. So uh, that is perceptive. Um, uh, I'll let you go in a minute. There's just kind of one uh, listener question I wanted to uh, to give you. Um, talking, going back to you, like your love of radio, your love of uh, fo- following football on the radio. Um, from Topher Knowles, which commentator, local or national, does the best job of painting a picture of the beautiful game? Well, so for me, football commentary has always been a lot to do with passion as well as painting a picture. So I want to know what's going on, but I also want the person I'm listening to, 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 if I've got an emotional investment in the game, I want them to be emotionally involved as well. So for me, the best commentators, I mean, there's loads I can mention, but my favourite, like of all time, on the radio would probably, like currently would be Alan Green. I think he's like brilliant and also very opinionated and stuff but probably of all time would be Jonathan Pierce and I'm not I'm not I don't really listen to him much like when he does his telly work and he only occasionally it pops up on five live now but back in the day when he was on um capital in London and sometimes uh for world cups their commentary would be carried by other local radio stations like commercial stations like he'd just go ballistic and and a lot of people would think that that was like unprofessional and stuff but like when England score in a world cup I go ballistic and for me to like when I've celebrated a goal and gone absolutely crazy and then you listen back to a commentator sort of talk about it in a very deadpan kind of way it just doesn't do it for me so and plus Pierce has always been brilliant at like painting a picture and also bringing lots of knowledge and stuff to the um to the uh four in those commentaries so so nationally be him and then locally um the best local radio commentator of all time um is graham richards who was on radio derby up until i don't know 10 or 12 years ago and he he, interestingly he was he was a magistrate in stoke um so he always had quite a lot to say about stoke and a lot of knowledge but if you if you go onto youtube and listen to graham richards um 
like classic commentaries he was he was the same like um the kind of is is kind of um <laughs> it was very it was very very opinionated so he would say some pretty outrageous things but he'd also go pretty crazy when derby scored and his 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 diction was amazing like his sort of um like way with words and the words he used were were just remarkable so yeah they would be my favorite commentators of all time uh nick thorley pottermouth uh it was an absolute pleasure to speak to you um this this interview has been a a lot of work behind the scenes shall we say uh went into this it was <laughs> yeah. a, a lot of hassle but definitely definitely worth it and um hearing your kind of your love of stoke and your love of audio and stuff is just like uh, it's music to my ears as well and it's just been an absolute pleasure chatting to you oh nice one thank you very much um david it's been a joy and a pleasure and uh yeah no we enjoyed it so much the first time that we decided to do it again so it's uh yeah it's been great thank you for Cardiff City's most important game of the season so far, the Nationwide League Playoff semi-final second leg. Cardiff City against Stoke City. The prize at stake tonight, a date at the Millennium Stadium on May the 11th. Just looking out there, Richard, you know, the, the place is packed. This is a fantastic sight to see. Millennium Park like this, the scene is set, you know. It's, it's got to be Cardiff City. It just has to be. There's, there's no other result. It's got to be. Here come the two teams led by referee Mike Dean of Wirral. And here go the fireworks. Cardiff City led out by Graham Kavanagh in their all-blue strip. Stoke City in their red and white stripes and white shorts led out by Peter Handyside. The Bluebirds leading 2-1 after the first leg. Gudjan Tordeson, the Stoke manager, said after the first game on Sunday, the pressure would be on Cardiff City. The pressure's on Stoke. I think he's just trying to take a bit of pressure off his players, Richard. Cross the pressures on Stoke. Got a goal down. They've come to a hostile atmosphere. Full house at Ninian Park. Probably the, the one place you wouldn't want to come to play in a, a second leg of a, a, of a playoff game. But they're here. Let's see what their bottle's like, because I know Cardiff will be up for this. Of course I don't You can hear the applause for Robert Earnshaw as he comes off with one and a half minutes of normal second half time remaining. He applauds the crowd. They applaud him back. We move towards the close of this playoff semi-final second leg. It's nil-nil on the night and Cardiff City lead by 2-1 on aggregate. Stoker going like trains towards the penalty area. Clark's closed down, he's cutting in field. He's going inside left channel, he's putting in his cross, that's a good one. O'Connor tries to get ahead on it, breaks for Goodyearson. He puts it back, and Stoke have scored! Oh, Stoke have scored! It's James O'Connor who's put Stoke one each. The ball put in by Goodyearson, and James O'Connor has put the ball into the net in the 89th minute. And the Stoke fans are bouncing up and down. McCullerton, Stoke City are in front. Cardiff now 
They're all ecstatic. They're all ecstatic. And it's level pegging. Graham, what's it like in the Britannia? What's it like, Nigel? They're on the pitch. The Stoke City supporters are on the pitch. And what a man to make the cross. The manager's son, Bjarne Goodjohnson, James O'Connor. Game on. Stoke are still in it. God, I can't believe that. Cannot believe it. That's come from nothing. Absolutely nothing. Well, it's all the also they say about these playoffs. My God. It's absolutely electric here. The Stoke fans are with me. One or two are in the crowd. Are Stoke going to win, lads? Do you think Stoke are going to win now? Come on, Sanjay! You can probably hear it. They really think that Stoke have got the advantage now scoring that. Handy side, long ball forward. Headed away by Pryor. And the referee has given a free kick for Stoke right on the edge of the Cardiff area for pushing by Pryor. That's no way is that a free kick. No way at all. Dion Burton was backing into him. Spencer Pryor, that's why he put his arms up to say, look, I'm not following him. It's Stanley Clark and O'Connor. O'Connor left. Stanley more central. It's Clark. It's O'Connor. And it's in. He's taken a deflection from James O'Connor's free kick. And the ball's in the net. I think it's Larry. It hit Ulari. The free kick from O'Connor hit Ulari and has gone in the net. And Stoke City, with six minutes remaining, are in the lead as Cardiff try and come back. 2 0 to Stoke, 3 2 on aggregate. As Stoke have got to defend, as Cavan is battling to the ball at the byline. Gets it, he's gone. Oh, and Fortune West. Had a chance at the far post, and he's headed wide. And so the whistle's gone, and Stoke City are through. What a performance from the Potters. 2-0 on the night, 3-2 on aggregate, and the players go over to their six or seven hundred supporters in that Grange end. And the supporters just cascade forward towards them. What a performance by Goodyear Thordison's men tonight. They can stand proud because they've come here into a cauldron at Ninian Park and they have taken a worthy victory that has moved them to the Millennium Stadium.